Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you, and uh, for those of you who are joining us online, we appreciate it. I do want to make a note to point out these three beautiful young ladies on the front row with Catherine and I. Um, Two of them were in my youth group in Katy and uh, are now at ACU. And uh, one of them brought her roommate who is also at ACU. And so if you get a chance to say hi to him this morning, yeah, that's right, scratch him, go Wildcats. Um, But uh, by the way, they don't actually say scratch him. I just say that uh, (laughs) since we're cats. But uh, anyway, uh, they're here and uh, I can say wholeheartedly that two of the hardest people to tell that I was leaving that job to come to this job were sitting right here. And uh, so it's really great that we don't have to worry, though, whenever you move from one church to another church, that we're still all a part of the same body and we're all still a part of the same unity and group together. So I'm really glad to have them here. Uh, So today we're continuing our series. This is the third lesson in our series called The Good Life. And I've tried to say from the beginning, this is not the prosperity gospel. This is not if you become a Christian, everything is going to go great in your life. I watched some football yesterday and I saw a lot of commercials by a guy named Joel who lives in Houston. There's a whole lot of that. And that is not what this is about, okay? This is the idea that God has created an order to our world. And that whenever you choose to submit to the fear of the Lord and to that order, that you are able to experience something which we are going to call the good life, or as John 10.10 would call it, the abundant life. And so we're going to be looking at how Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job all comment on that. Before I get, though, to talking a little bit more about Proverbs, I have three questions I want you to think about. I tried to come up with an example for each one of them, but I decided to leave it open-ended. But I want you to think of a time... When in your life, when someone said something to you, whether it was intentional or not, that that was the right thing you needed to hear in that moment that brought an immense amount of peace and calm or joy or appreciation. Just a moment where you were going through maybe a rough day, something was going on and someone had something that they said to you that just brought a peace and a joy or something to you. I know we can all think of a time well, we've been going through something, and when someone spoke to you in your mind, whether you said it or not, you thought, I really needed to hear that today. Thank you. You've been there before, right? You probably maybe had a moment or two where you said something to someone. I've, I know I've mentioned this church, but I, I try to send a text to people on a regular basis saying, you were in my prayers this morning, and you'd be amazed the number of times where the response back is, I needed that today. And it was not planned, it just happened. Another thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about a time where you said something or someone said something to you where as soon as you said it, you realized you had created a big problem, where there was going to be a lot of things that you were going to have to clean up. You were going to have to try and put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste bottle, which is impossible. You, were, you had a lot of a mess you had to clean up just because of one little thing that you said. There's, one, uh, there's a couple named Chris and Stacy Hatchett that are ministers that their son is a friend of mine. So I've heard they do kind of a marriage seminar, and I've heard their seminar before. And uh, I remember they tell a story about how one time Chris was sitting there, and he was feeling a little self-conscious about how he had like gained weight. And his wife just 
one night, whenever he had gotten a bowl of ice cream, just said, are you sure you want to eat a bowl of ice cream? And she didn't mean anything by it, of course. But boy, that was the wrong thing to say right then. And for him, it was, you know, got up, put the bowl in the sink, walked off. And, like, and, and that's an example where it's kind of like, a, wait, what just happened? Uh, whether it was intentional or not, something that you said, all of a sudden, there was just a mess that you had to clean up. And then the last thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about a time where you were there in a moment with someone where they were pouring out their heart or where they were going through something tough and you had the good sense to realize that you needed to just be silent with them in that moment where you just had a second where you thought, you know what, I need to just sit here and not say anything and be quiet. So I want you to think about those things. So the book of Proverbs is the one that we've been going through first. And what we're going to do now is we're going to do two weeks in a row where we look at kind of the center of Proverbs. Proverbs is broken up into sections. And the center section of Proverbs is the one that we're the most familiar with. Because the way Proverbs works is, and I talked about this last week, Proverbs 1 through 9, the chapters, are written like a father speaking to a son and trying to impart wisdom to a son. I can almost picture a dad and a son getting up at like 4 a.m. to go out and to go fishing and going out on the lake and they're out there and everything's kind of quiet and you can just picture the dad saying, son, I kind of just need to talk to you about stuff. And the, the son's like, what is it? You know, and, and it's not anything specific. It's just, I need you to know some things before you get older. I kind of just need to tell you some things that you need, to, you need to be careful about this. You need to be conscientious of this. Whenever someday you get in a fight with someone, you need to be the person that's the bigger person. You need, you know, you, those kind of, that's what Proverbs 1 through 9 is kind of written like. A father trying to impart wisdom to a son. But really, it's God trying to impart wisdom to all of us. And the thing we talked about last week is that something that's really important to the father is that there is foolishness in the world, and he per describes her as a, a loose woman that is trying to pursue you. And you need to be careful of that foolish life because it's coming to try and convince you that that's the better life and you need to look out for this woman that he describes as lady wisdom the wise life the good life whose life is better than pure gold and silver and you need to choose her and so chapters one through nine is ten speeches of the father to the son and some poetry in there but then we've got chapters 10 through 29, which is what we think of when we think of Proverbs. It's just verse after verse of these wise little quotes, these little proverbs. Uh, literally, the definition of, of a proverb is like a short, wise saying. You can almost imagine opening up a fortune cookie and it's saying like, blessed is the person who decides to take a nap after lunch. Just like a wise little phrase that we have. And that's what we think of when we think of Proverbs. Just these wise phrases after wise phrases. And we just think, oh, somebody just sat down and was just thinking, you know, that, that sounds smart. But really what it is, is it's taking the first nine chapters where the premise is, if you want to have the good life and if you want to be wise, it begins and continues with the fear of the Lord, with reverence and submission to who God is and choosing to say, I'm not going to choose for myself what is right and good, but I'm going to choose whatever God says is right and good. And I'm going to submit to that. And Proverbs is now, chapters 10 through 29, is saying, if you live that life, the practical application of the fear of the Lord looks like this. When it comes to your family, when it comes to your money, when it comes to your uh, marriages, when it comes to your friends, this is what it looks like in your practical application. And that's where we get all these wise sayings. The fear of the Lord, 
when you're dealing with your money looks like this. The fear of the Lord when it looks like working hard and not being lazy looks like this. That's what chapters 10 through 29 are about. And so for this week and next week, we're going to look at two major themes. I think there's probably, we could probably think of 10 themes, but I'm only going to pick two because I think once we look at these, you can learn for yourself how to read the rest of Proverbs. But the theme we're going to look at today is how much Proverbs talks about the words that we say to each other. Next week, we'll be looking at what Proverbs has to say about friends and family in the chapters 10 through 29. So I picked out for you a handful of Proverbs that discuss what the fear of the Lord looks like in the words that we say. Okay, perfect. Words bring life. This is kind of the heading that I picked. Um, but the, starting with Proverbs 10, verse 11, it says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. If you're someone who is a righteous person, then when you're around them, you just frequently find that the words that they say just bring life to your spirit and your heart. I want you all to picture the people in your life that whenever you're going through something, you just notice yourself thinking, I've got to pick up the phone and call this person because they just seem to always bring me to a place that brings good wisdom and good answers and, and encouragement to my life. That's a, the fear of the Lord played out in your speech. You will be someone that is a fountain of life when you speak to people. Chapter 15, verse 23. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Just this wise phrase of, there's, there's a, a time, and blessed is the person who's able to know when is the right time to say something that's just going to be a blessing. Okay? But then, I noticed, I'm going to do four more Psalms, or Proverbs, four more Proverbs where the thing that was most... Uh, challenging for me when I was preparing for this sermon and any time I've talked about this is the fact that more often than not in the Proverbs, when it talks about how to use your words, it talks less about what you should say and it talks way more about how you should not say anything. So for the people in our congregation who don't talk a whole lot, you're in for a treat because Proverbs is going to say you are a wise person. Um, I am not someone who is quiet. I talk a lot. I speak a lot, and I can already tell my daughter's gotten it. Now, now that she's old enough to talk when we're at home, there's not a quiet moment. She's just chatting nonstop. And it made me think, maybe this is what my parents had to go through with me. Um, maybe this is what people still have to go through with me. But let's look at uh, four Proverbs that are on the value of silence. Sin is uh, Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Sin does not get stopped from going and going by talking more. It ends with a prudent person holding their tongue. Psalm 13, 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. People who just speak out of pocket, just throw out something, your life uh, is going to tend to have worse things happen to you. Remember what I said last week. These Proverbs are not promises. God is not saying, I promise you if you speak rashly, your life will be terrible. But it's a kind of a, this is gonna, what's going to tend to happen. The more you tend to speak rashly, the more whenever your spouse comes home and says, how was your day? It was great. Uh, I just, uh, you know what? Just go back to what you were doing. And you just rashly throw something out. You're probably going to have a worse day most, more often than not. That's what's going to happen. Uh, these are two more. The last one is just really really powerful. Uh, 1528. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. The heart of the righteous weighs what they want to say. I'm going to come back to that in a second. 1727 through 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint 
And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. I really like that part. They're basically saying, you could be an idiot, but if you don't say anything, you can look real smart. And uh, I, I like that. And I think we all have been in times where we've been there and we've been called upon to try and make a comment. And by the time we leave, we're like, man, I just made that worse. And if we had just been willing to be quiet and think and be silent, might have been the wiser thing to do. All right, I, hope, I see some people's faces. Some people are like, mm, man, this, I maybe need to take this to account. One of the things about 1528, and by the way, if any of you are feeling convicted, I'm the number one culprit of the not being silent. I'm working on it. But one of the things I really like about this heart way of the righteous ways it's answers, I, w- I was thinking about this, and I think it's a good analogy for all of us in this. If I asked you all right now, what's two plus two? You immediately know the answer is four. Landry Joe maybe even knows the answer is four. Because it's in a place in your brain where you're not even having to think anymore. You're just doing it. But if I asked you, what's 27 times 119? Unless you're just a math whiz in here, you're going to have to stop and be like, okay, 27, 119, 20 times 119. is. You're going to have to do that, right? I believe part of the call that we have here from Proverbs of when you fear the Lord and you are willing to submit to God and what that looks like in your practical application as a person It looks like taking speaking and moving it from the one category of the two plus two equals four, where as soon as somebody says something, you're just like, I'm just going to respond immediately. I'm just going to tell you what I think immediately. And you move it to the category of 27 times 119, where before you say something to someone, you stop and you do some multiplication in your head and you think, I want to weigh this. I want to consider this. I want to be a person that makes sure that what I say doesn't create a fire, but brings healing in life. James 3 has a whole lot to say about what your tongue can do. It says, uh, your tongue, people have tamed all sorts of wild animals, but no one has ever tamed the tongue. Your tongue is like a spark that can start a wildfire. And the answer, when we look at what the good life looks like, is being a person who's able to say, I'm either going to be silent right now, or I'm going to really do some thinking before I respond to you about this. So my main summarizing what I drew from the theme of, of speaking from the Proverbs is that someone who fears the Lord and, and, and someone who fears the Lord and walks in wisdom speaks life or doesn't speak at all. I want you to think about that for a second. Someone who takes the practical application of submission and fearing God and applies it to their life looks like someone who really weighs what they want to say and maybe even comes to the conclusion more often than not that sometimes it's better not to say anything, okay? So as I've done throughout this whole series, if I believe that wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's truth and wisdom here on earth, then I have to believe that there is a way that we can show that Jesus modeled this in his own life. And so I called my dad, and I said, Dad, this is what I'm preaching on this Sunday. What do you think are stories that, that maybe I can show that Jesus is doing this? We talked about how Jesus, before the people before he was about to get crucified, they, keep, they talk about how silent he was before them. And we thought about that. I thought about the story of Jesus with Lazarus. And when Jesus went to the grave and Mary and Martha are wanting an answer. Come on, Jesus, you could have been here. You could have done something. We're told over and over that his response is to, to be moved and to be empathized with them first. His first response is to listen to them and to hear their hurt and their brokenness. And then when he does speak, the first thing he speaks is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
And his answer in that moment is to speak life into the situation, to be silent and speak life. But the, the story that we landed on as one that I hope illustrates this idea comes from John chapter 8. And uh, I actually didn't, I just did a like a 19-week series on John, and this is one of the stories I didn't do. So look at there. It all comes back in. Um, but uh, John 8 is a story that many of you have probably heard before, but let's, uh, let's read it together. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of, law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Speak. Say something. Give us an answer. There, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Who has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I like this story because I think it holds, gives us an example of both of these truths. And I think part of, part of what our culture tells us is that these teachers are coming at Jesus and they're saying, Hey, you need to have an answer for what's going on here. You need to say something about this. And how often do we have that challenge as Christians? Did you hear what happened on the news? Did you hear what such and such did at work? Or did you hear what happened? What's your answer to that? What's your response? Say something about this. And Jesus' first response is not to say anything. Is not to go, well, all right, I think this and I think that and I think this and I think if you think otherwise, you're an idiot and you're dead to me. That's not what Jesus says. By the way, that's what we do. That's our response nowadays. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, well, shooting off the hip, not knowing all the details, I'm just going to tell you everything that's right, and I'm going to tell you if you disagree one iota, you're completely wrong. That's what we do. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says he, it says he kneels down and he's beside her. He's quiet. We don't know what he write, wrote. I'm not going to conjecture. It's clearly not important. They would have told us what he wrote if it was important. But he's sitting beside her, riding in the sand. And then they keep pressing him. And he just responds by saying, Which, whoever one of you has no sin, let you, you cast the first stone. And then he goes back to writing and back to silence. But what I love, I, I, you can picture this woman. And this woman is at a point in her life where you're, probably isn't, they're probably, this is the lowest point in her life probably, honestly. She's standing there and she's either about to die. That's one problem. The other problem is, is now everyone in town doesn't know her as anything else but the adulterous woman. And she's standing there. And that's, where, that's how everyone sees her now. And Jesus has a choice. Whatever I say to her, if I say anything at all, she is going to go one direction with her life or she might go another direction with her life. And what he chooses to do is he does not ignore the sin. He does not say, I'm going to just, hey, guess what? You're all good. Let's be happy. He doesn't do that. But what he does is he still speaks in a way to her where she has a chance now to say, I can go on a new path in life. I can go towards life. Because Jesus came and he said to her, all these people who have no right to condemn you, they didn't. 
And I am the one beside you who has every right to condemn you. I'm the one that has the power to speak and say you are lost and condemned. But instead of choosing to say that, even though he had the right, he chose to say, well, then neither do I. And then follow it up by say, saying, go now and leave your life of sin. And so what I want to encourage you as we wrap up, I want to encourage you that we don't often do this, but in our culture, we are constantly called upon to have the right answer and to be able to have it just off the cuff. And if you don't, then you must not believe it. Do you feel that way nowadays? I feel like the second something comes up on Facebook or on the news or on... I can almost imagine everybody's like, all right, we got I got to get my response to this down in about nine seconds because I'm going to be called upon to have a a do-or-die opinion about this, where I'm going to have to go to war on these Facebook comments for this. And yet, what we see is, when God talks to us about what does the good life look like when you use your words and your speech, more often than not, it looks like being silent. More often than not, and, and every time, it looks like weighing deeply, how am I going to respond to this? What am I going to say? Because what I want to say is something that's going to bring life to this situation, that's going to set a trajectory. And so the, the phrase that I want to use, I didn't make it a bullet point, but it's what I keep coming back to is treat your words and your silence as a valuable commodity that is going to be watered down every time you talk too much, every time I talk too much. How many of you can think of the people in your life that are the, that presence that you trust and that when they speak to you, it wear, bears a lot of weight? I know you now, I'm a people pleaser, so sometimes people's words carry more weight just because just I want to make people happy. But you know those people in your life where when you're really stuck, should I change my major to this? Should I, uh, should I try out for the tennis team? Should I start pursuing this person that I think we might have a relationship with? Should I retire? Should I leave my job because I feel like it's an unhealthy place? Should we move from Houston to you have the people in your life that you trust and usually those people have earned your respect because they know that their words carry weight with you. And the more we are people who just talk and talk and talk and give our opinion and give our opinion off the cuff, off the cuff, off the cuff, we lose the value of our words. I, I'm going to use a couple analogies. One, I think about Butch in our meetings. Butch does not talk a whole lot in our elders' meetings. Butch is silent a lot of our elders' meetings. But when Butch speaks, we all listen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't listen when everybody else speaks. But you know what I mean. There is a certain, hey, Butch has something to say. We need to listen up. And he has earned that weight of his words because he is wise and he lives the good life and the fear of the Lord. Right? We can also think about people where they may be speaking the most truth we've ever heard before. But because of their history of just sh shooting off their mouth, is that the phrase? Just to, you know, I think, you know, you watch your mouth, don't shoot off your mouth. I think that's what my mom would say to me. But we know those people where they might be speaking truth, but it bears no weight because they haven't shown the ability to weigh and common sense, and we've lost that with us. And what I think about with Jesus Christ is there is no person that when we are his ambassadors, he has given us his truth. He wants us to bear testimony to him. And when we go out in the world and all we do as Christians is run our mouths all the time, we are lessening and lessening and watering down and watering down the power of his word and his truth. And sometimes we need to learn to take his example and to be people that first think, weigh our words, and sometimes the answer is to be silent. 
I was talking to Weston at breakfast the other day, and I was commenting. I said, you know, the men in your family aren't just talkers. And, you know, Weston made the comment. He said, you know, when I was younger, I would have told you that I wasn't going to be someone that was necessarily as quiet. But I've learned it's really valuable sometimes to be quiet. And I said, guess what? I'm preaching on that this Sunday. And this is the truth. And so what I want to encourage you, the next time you find yourself in a situation where you feel called to give an answer right now, that's not necessarily what the fear of the Lord looks like in your speech. The next time you're in a situation where there's a firestorm on Facebook and you've got to get your two cents in, I want you to think about, is that actually going to help anything? Is that actually going to bring life to someone? I want you to think about that and weigh that in your life. If any of you would like to learn more about what it looks like to have the fear of the Lord and to begin this life, the good life, of what it looks like to live in wisdom with everything that you do, today's sermon was not just about speech. But today's sermon was about how when you take the fear of the Lord and the good life and wisdom, it's going to have practical application in everything you do. It just so happens that today's sermon was about what we say. So I want to encourage you, if you would like to talk to someone, if you'd like to pray about anything, uh, I'd encourage you to come. The elders will be standing at the exits as we stand and sing this song.